You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. You know, we have a special guest today that's going to share the Word of God, exhortation, and an encouragement to us. Um, it's on our board of trustees. You know him. Um, he's taught here before. He is the lead pastor of Reality San Francisco. He has been a gift to me personally as someone that's never planted a church myself, uh, getting the calls. Dave, what should I do? What do you think? Reality San Francisco has been a huge support financially and prayerfully. Um, Everything above, they've been a huge support, and uh, he to us, and um, to my wife, and just to this church in a whole. And so, Dave, so grateful for here, and come give us the word of God. Happy birthday, Reality Honolulu. This is beautiful. The uh, the way that this church uh, embodies uh, family, or as you say here, Ohana is quite remarkable. Just the meet and greet time, it feels like a family reunion, and it was pretty sweet. Um, if you have a Bible, please turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark 9. Um, my daughter, Junie, Mija, do you want to come up here? My daughter's like, I want to come up there and teach with you. So I'm going to, if she wants to, let her come up and help me read the text. And then we're going to pray, and then, uh, and then we'll get started. You want to come up? You don't have to. Okay, got it, got it, got it. You want to say hi? Hi. Okay, Mark 9. I'm going to read this text and then I'll pray. It's a long text. My my left arm might fall off, but let's do this. Uh, Verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was, transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what raising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why did the teachers of the law and Elijah say Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come. They have done to him everything they wish, just as is written about him. When they came to the other disciples from the mountain, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with, about them with, he asked. A man from the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit, who has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. 
You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him to the fire and water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and don't never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Long text. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and insight to understand your word and to walk faithfully in it. Would you help me communicate this in Jesus' name? Amen. 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 Okay. Okay, go back to mommy. Thanks, ma'am. It doesn't happen very often. Uh, every morning I try to wake up a little early before the kids get up and the family gets up and spend time with God. And, and it doesn't happen every single morning, but a couple weeks ago I had this remarkable time with God. Like, I get up, try to get up. And sometimes I just read my Bible and pray and it just, that's it. But this morning when I woke up, it was especially insightful. Like I had this moment of revelation. And then when I was done, I heard the family kind of wrestling and not wrestling, but like moving around upstairs, like, oh, they're starting to wake up. So I kind of went upstairs, kind of floated upstairs. You know how when you, like you feel like you've been with God, you're like, I'm glowing like Moses. And you're like floating upstairs. So I was like floating upstairs, so thankful for the morning and then I said good morning to Ashley, my wife, and Juniper, who was just up here. And then I hear that Prince, our very small bladdered golden doodle, has to potty. So I start to take him out, and Junie says, I want to come too. And I say, okay, okay, get your shoes on. Put on your, your she has like some slippers by the door. Put them on, and let's, let's go. So we're there. Prince is doing his business. It's an uncharacteristically warm morning, which never happens in San Francisco. And I'm just like... This day is perfect. Like, beautiful morning with God, out here with my dog, it's so nice. And all of a sudden, from the corner of my eye, I see my daughter, Juniper, trip over an imperceptible crack in the sidewalk. And she falls down, and she skins her knee, and it's still very early in the morning, and she starts to yell. She starts to cry, and it's echoing all over the neighborhood. So I run over there to pick her up, I grab her, I pick her up, and her, her slipper falls off. And she goes, my shoe, and she screams louder than you've ever heard anyone scream. And I'm like, Junie, you're allowed to cry, just not that loud. Don't cry that loud. At that very moment, I hear, because our windows are kind of open, our son Nowen, who's seven months old, wailing in, like someone's like di dismembering him in the, in the house. So Junie is in my hand just wailing, and I'm like, I gotta get you inside because the neighbors are gonna hate me. I go inside, my daughter is crying in my arms, Nowen is crying in Ashley's arms, and I look at Ashley, my wife, and I go, chaos. Life is 
chaos. Now, I share that story because it went, it went like this. It went from the most beautiful day to instantly turning into like, life is too hard. I don't know if I can deal with this. Crying kids, inconsolable, can't do it. You like all of a sudden reach the end of yourselves. This is exactly what it was like when the disciples were on the mountain with Jesus and then went down to the valley. They, went, they were in the mountain with Jesus and Jesus was transfigured, right? He turned glowing white. Whiter than, and I think this is funny that Mark puts this in there, whiter than anyone could bleach their clothes, which is kind of like an OCD, like um, little addition right there. It's like, I've tried to bleach my clothes this white, no one can do it this white. I, that's how white Jesus' clothes were. So they come off the mountain, they're glowing. They literally met Moses and Elijah on the mountain and they come right down into chaos. Disciples arguing, dem demonic spirits, it's just completely chaotic. They went from beauty to chaos. And, and I think what I wanna to do to this morning is I wanna ask ourselves, what are we to learn about discipleship from this scene? When it goes from beauty to pandemonium, what are we supposed to learn about discipleship? What Mark is doing in his book, in every single one of his stories, he's teaching us what it means to follow Jesus in these short stories, these short pericopes. Some theologians say that this story is the gospel in miniature or life in miniature. It captures the ups and downs of life. How one moment you can feel like you're literally on top of the world and the next you're plunged into despair. And this is life. And more often than not, life feels like coming off the mountain than living on top of the mountain. There's a famous book called The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck, very famous book. He's a psychiatrist. Um, and he writes, this is his opening line to his book. Life is difficult. I respect that because he's a psychiatrist and he's calling it like it is. Then he goes on like this. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. Most do not fully see this truth that life is difficult. Instead, they moan more or less incessantly, noisily or subtly about the enormity of their problems, their burdens and their difficulties as if life were generally easy, as if life should be easy. Life is a series of problems. See, a lot of us are either so shocked by our problems or working so hard to ignore our problems or so badly trying to climb the mountain to get away from our problems that we don't know how to face our problems. Now, I'm not coming here today as one who has mastered facing all of my problems, but I've done enough failing in ignoring my problems that I think that there's something very important that we can learn from this text here. I think that this text has a few things to teach, teach us about life's ups and downs, through life's ecstasies and through life's problems. So I like to teach on this reality from the view of the mountain. So I wanna talk about the mountaintop and what the mountaintop teaches us about the valley. Are you with me? Mountaintop. Okay, three lessons from the mountain. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Lesson number one that we learned from being on like the mountaintop with God. Lesson number one, we need mountains. We need these kind of mountains where there's revelation, where we meet God in just beauty. It says in verse two that Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. Now in stories like this, mountains are not just mountains. If you've ever read, if, you, if you're a fan of, of, of literature at all, you know that mountains are not just mountains and oceans are not just oceans if you read Moby Dick. 
Whales are not just whales. Like these things mean something else. In biblical literature, mountains are not just mountains. They signify something. Mountains in biblical literature are holy places, places away from the ordinary, places that are closer to heaven. And the way that Jesus leads the disciples up the mountain means that the mountain was a place of pilgrimage, a place of being alone with God. Now, this mountain is where the disciples will get revelation and clarity as they encounter the glory of God in Christ where the veil that clothed his humanity became porous and they got a glimpse of who Jesus really was as he transfigured before them. Now I'll say this, we need these moments. We need moments of encounter with God, moments of wonder and glory, moments of where the finitude of our problems fade away and there's only God, whether this is in worship, in prayer, in silence, in our own like holy places, we need moments where where like the, the space between heaven and earth gets really thin and we encounter God. We need these moments. Now, it's no coincidence that the disciples got this revelation right after Caesarea Philippi. Now, the story right before the trans Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is walking with the disciples through Caesarea Philippi, which is like the hub of like demonic activity in the, in the, in, in the uh, first century. And Jesus is walking where all of these shrines to other gods and other demons are everywhere. And Jesus is walking among them and he says, who do the people say that I am? And you know the story. And they say, oh, some say you're Moses, some say you're Elijah, some say you're one of the prophets. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And then Peter speaks up and says, because he can't ever shut up. He has to say something. You are the Christ. You are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said, heaven and earth did not reveal that to you. That means you didn't come up that by yourself. You got revelation. And Jesus says, that's right. I am the Christ. And as the Christ, I'm going to the cross. And whoever wants to follow me must take up the cross. And then Peter goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is not Christ's talk. That's not how we talk. If you are the Christ, you're going to a palace. You're going to a, a throne. You are not going to a cross. And then he goes from like revelation from God to being used by Satan. So Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind, you have the things of man in mind. Okay, this happens right, right then, where I believe what happens, and this is what happens throughout the disciples from here on out when Jesus starts talking about the cross. They get disoriented. They get disillusioned, which means they had an illusion of what Jesus was gonna do, and they were disillusioned. The illusion is shattered. Jesus is like, I'm the Messiah and I'm going to the cross, and they didn't understand that. They didn't have that they didn't really have that worldview. They didn't have, like, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Christ, if you're the Son of God, you're going to a throne, you're gonna overthrow Rome, you're no way, you're just no way you're gonna die under Rome's execution, the cross. So Peter, after he rebuked him, he was disoriented. Their world was upside down. What they thought life was about was being undone in a matter of minutes. We're following Jesus the Messiah, and you're saying you're going to the cross? What I'm saying is this, the disciples needed this mountain to gain clarity and to gain perspective. They needed this mountain because they were so disoriented by, by Jesus. Their world was so upside down. Things were starting to fall apart. There's, in our, in our kind of like cultural moment, we're calling this um, deconstruction, deconstruction when we're deconstructing the gospel or deconstructing the faith. When those moments happen, you need encounter with God. When everything that you thought you believed or thought about God starts to fall apart in a moment of like darkness or weakness or whatever, you need 
a moment with God. I think about Martin Luther King Jr. here because of his famous speech. If you know the famous last speech of MLK where he talks about being on the mountain with God and seeing the promised land. But before that moment, you guys remember that? I've been on the mountaintop. I've seen the glory. I myself might not get there, but I know that we're getting there, right? He has this revelation. But before he actually has that last speech, he said in a sermon right before that called, God is able. Martin Luther King says, there were threats for his life were starting to build. He was getting letters and phone calls. And after weeks and weeks, he began to fear. He began to lose that once confident hope in God. He lost perspective of God and fear was starting to take over. Then he says this in the sermon, quote, it's not on the screen, I'm just gonna read it to you. He says, I was ready to give up. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had almost gone, I determined to take my problem to God. I bowed and I prayed aloud. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I'm afraid, God. The people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I'm at the end of my powers. I have come to the point where I can't face it alone. That's his prayer. Then he says this, at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I have never experienced him before. It seemed as though I heard an inner voice saying, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth. God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to pass away. The outer situation remained the same, but God had given me inner calm. Three nights later, our home was bombed. Strangely enough, I accepted the word of the bombing calmly. My experience with God had given me strength and trust. I know now that God is able to give us the interior resources to face the storms of life. There, these are the kind of moments we need. If, there's, if you're in a season of life where you're just being disoriented, maybe even starting to deconstruct, being disillusioned, feeling fear creeping into your own life, you need these moments of God where you get clarity, where you're like, God brings strength. He's able to be with me no matter what. We need these kind of moments. This is what the disciples needed. Now, it's interesting. On top of the mountain, as we read, Jesus meets Moses and Elijah. These are Old Testament heroes, right? Old Testament heroes. Now, there's several meanings. Why in the world is Moses and Elijah there? And by the way, how do they recognize them? Was there name tags? Like, hello, I'm Moses. Hello, I'm Elijah. Like, there's no pictures of these people. Like, how in the world do they recognize them? I don't know. I actually don't know that. I think there's something about when heaven and earth. Anyways, I won't get into that. So what is the meaning? Why is Moses and Elijah up there with Jesus? Now, some say, well, it's the law and the prophets, right? Moses is the law, Elijah's the prophets, and they're both giving witness to Jesus as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and I think that's awesome. But my personal favorite, and a reason why I think these prophets are up there, because these prophets represent those who, like the disciples at this moment, beheld Yahweh's glory on a mountain at a crucial period of discouragement in their life's mission. Elijah, if you remember, thinks he's alone. This is 1 Kings 19. He just, he just gave it to the prophets of Baal. He runs away. He thinks he's the only one left. He's scared and depressed. He's like, I want to die. And God has to intervene in the still small voice 
and say, I have many people. Go back and do the mission I've given you to do. And we know Moses. He met God on the mountain too, Exodus 33. He meets God on the mountain because he's so exhausted of leading the people. He's like, these people are so stubborn. I don't want to lead them anymore. And God's like, if you lead them, I'm calling you to lead them, lead them. And Moses says, okay, one condition. I will lead them if you go with me. If you go before us, if you go before us, I'll go. And God says, I will go before you. And then Moses gets a little daring. He's like, well, can you show me your glory? Remember that part? God's like, no, I can't. But I can show you the trail of my glory, which is also weird. Another thing I don't really understand. Anyway, so these two prophets meet God on a mountain. Why are they there? Because these people, these two represent what, what we need. We need to meet God in this place on a mountain. Now, we need these moments with God. We need these moments of God encouraging us and strengthening us. The question is how? How in the world do we have these moments with God? Lesson number two from the mountain. We can't make mountains happen. Now, the next two points are gonna go really fast. You're like, dude, this, that first point was pretty long. I'm not gonna lie. It was long, but these next two are gonna sh be shorter, okay? We can't make mountains happen. What I mean by this is that you can't just make an encounter with God happen. Notice that Jesus leads these disciples up the mountain. It was like the disciples were leading Jesus on the mountain. They were, this, Jesus was like, I'm going to the mountain, follow me. Now, this might not be encouraging. We, we would probably like nothing more than to put these moments in our calendar, like a good chiropractor appointment or a good therapy appointment, just like encounter with God, Tuesday, 3.30 p.m. But life doesn't work that way. Life with God doesn't work that way. It's a bit more mysterious. It's a bit, it's a, it comes in and out. How, how, how in the world do you get these times? How do you get these times where you get revelation from God? There is something that a strong tree, a good surfer, and these disciples all have in common. And it's being in the right position. A tree will grow strong if it's planted in the right place, by a stream, by other trees, by a place where there's good sunlight and good water. A surfer has a lot of fun if they know exactly the right place to get it into the lineup. I, I tried to learn how to surf and I lived in Carpinteria where Ryan and Zoe are from. And um, there's this famous surf spot called Rincon and I would try to go there and I'm not a really good surfer and I just didn't know where to be and I ended up being where either the waves crashed or I was getting run over by surfers. And then I was taught, no, you have to be there. I'm like, but I don't even know how to get there. It's like, just figure out a way to get there and that's where the, the waves start. If you're a good surfer, you know, I have to be in the right place. Now, you can't make waves come, but you can position yourself for when they do come. These disciples simply committed their lives to following Jesus. And when the time was right, Jesus called them on the mountain. A tree, a surfer, these disciples get in the right place and at the right time. This is the art of being a disciple. Like a wave, you can't make it happen, but you can get yourself ready. You can build into your life the habit of following Jesus by meeting with God, placing yourselves where these moments can happen. Early morning prayer, late evening prayer, church on Sunday, build in rituals in your life to where I'm gonna get myself in the right place to when, when God wants to 
like have an encounter with me, I am ready and I'm open. And then hopefully eventually your whole life becomes open to God so that these moments can happen when you're just driving down the street. Lesson three, we can't live on the mountain. In verse five, Peter says something actually kind of funny. He says, Rabbi, by the way, Peter has to say something, by the way. He always has to say something. He's like, Rabbi, you're glowing. There's Moses. Hey, Moses. Elijah. That's cool. You know, it's good that we're up here. Let us build three houses, one for you and one for you and one for you. And then in parentheses, it says, Mark, Mark makes this comment, because Peter did not know what to say. Typically, when you don't know what to say, don't say anything, but that's not Peter's rule. He's going to say something. Now, Peter wants to build houses for everyone, like Oprah, you get a house, and you get a house, and you get a house, right? This is like Peter's thing, like, you get a house, Jesus, and I'll just build you a house. Now, the word that Peter uses is the word tabernacle, meaning, meaning he wants to stay there, meaning let's just live here. Why don't we live on the mountain? Jesus, I'll build you a house, and you can live here. Moses, you can, and we can just live in the mediated presence of God forever. The implication is Jesus is calling us to a cross. He's talking about a cross. Let's not do the cross. Let's do the mountain. Let's keep doing the mountain. Let's live in bliss and glory and ecstasy. See, sometimes we try to over-spiritualize life and say that we want to live there. We want to live and dwell on the mountain with God. We want to live in God's mediated presence forever. But that's not what God wants. Kaimana and Kehau just came back from their honeymoon. I would imagine as they were traveling around Europe, there's moments where they were like, let's just stay here forever. Honeymoons are amazing. We went to, to Maui on, on our honeymoon 20 years ago. We celebrate 20 years this week, my wife and I. And I remember, thank you, that's a big deal, 20 years. And that's a long time. And um, I remember in Maui, we were like, why don't we just live here? Here, kind of Hawaii, but mainly let's live on our honeymoon forever. Because honeymoons are awesome. But everyone knows that's not, not the point of a honeymoon. The point of the honeymoon is to, is to come together to celebrate and then get back to real life because there's work to do. There's life to live. There's family and fellowship and mission. There's things that we have to do together. We can't just live here the whole time. The same thing. They want to live on the mountain. God's, no, you can't live here. There's work to be done. There's a mission to complete. Jesus has to go to the cross. Disciples have a world to tell. You can't live here. My, my secret place, my mountain that I meet with God almost every single time I go there is a place called Big Sur, in Northern California. And I go there, and I, every single time I'm there, I try, to f I try to live there. I'm like, I'm looking for houses or property. I'm like, I'll just live in a tent here. I just want to live here because I always meet God there, and I want to live there. But I know that's not my call in life. That's not my mission. Even though San Francisco, probably a lot like certain parts of Oahu, are very hard to live in sometimes. The people, the... The, the, the brokenness, the injustice, it's hard. You much rather live on like a mountain up here and like I'm just above it all and away from it all, but that's not what God calls us to. Get off the mountain. There's work to
to be done. This is what God says to me every single time. I need mountains, but I can't live there. In verse 7, it says that a cloud appeared, which if you know your Old Testament, that means God's coming. And then a voice from the cloud says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is saying two things. One, I'm going to the cross. Listen to me. I'm going to the cross. This is where we're going. This is the mission that we have to complete. But it's also encouragement because going to the cross feels like impossible. Like that can't be God's plan. And the father says, it is my plan. Listen to him. See, moments in God's presence where the hard things don't feel so hard and lifted higher to see a greater purpose is, is really, really, really important in our life with God. Today you celebrate five years. Ryan and Zoe have given their lives for this place, for you. I've walked with them before when they were first feeling called and we came up here just to be all around this island and pray. I remember praying with Ryan before he got here or even on the prayer tours when we were about to plant and Ryan feeling the sense of overwhelm by the possibilities and the risk. And it happened all over again in COVID. These feelings come up for people who take risk. We planted Reality San Francisco some 13 years ago. I recently was going back and reading my prayer journal from when I planted the church. And I have so many prayers where I was just overwhelmed. I didn't have a category. I'm like, God, there's no way in the world you're calling me to a city like San Francisco. I don't think I'm going to make it. I think I might die. Actually, I am dying. Oh, my gosh. And I would journal this stuff. And then I would read my prayer journal, and I would turn the page, and the next page would be how God met me. Thank you, God. Tonight, prayer meeting, you showed up. This, thank you, God. Every time, overwhelm, next page, God meets us. Overwhelm, next page, God meets us. And I need to remember that. I went back to remember that because I need to remember that. And I need to remind you of this. Life is difficult. And what God calls us to as followers of Jesus is makes life even more difficult. Your life doesn't get easier by following Jesus, by the way. If someone told you that, they're sending you the wrong gospel. Life doesn't get easier. You actually become more and more obedient. You swim against culture and against the stream, the current. You have to go to a cross when you want to go to a throne. Life is difficult. Life gets even more difficult when we're being obedient to Jesus, but it's worth it. There's no better way to spend a life than obedience to Jesus. But that kind of perspective only happens on a mountain. And so I think you need to get to the mountain. You need to get to a place, either it's morning or right now as we worship or someplace where you're like, God, I need revelation because I'm getting weak in my calling. I'm getting like, I, I'm getting overwhelmed. I, I'm, I'm, the love of the world is, is like flooding into my life and all I want to do is live in comfort. Bring me to this place of revelation again where I see the mission before me again. Jesus would come off this mountain and make his way to another mountain. That mountain was called Golgotha, the place where Jesus would be crucified. This place, heaven and earth, would ultimately meet and the revelation of who Jesus really was would ultimately happen to where the centurion who was standing next to Jesus said, this indeed is the Son of God. 
Would you stand with me as we pray? If you would, if you're willing, for those that really want to express with our bodies an openness to encounter God, would you open your hands up? Just open your hands like this. And this is like, you, typically there's carpets here, but we don't have those today because we're renovating down next door. But we usually have carpets because we want to get our bodies aligned with our spirits. We want to get our bodies aligned to the openness, the surrender to God and say, God, reveal yourself. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for five years. I thank you for the faithfulness of this church. Through COVID, they found ways not just to love each other well, but serve their communities, to go outside of their communities and serve. I think of the line that forms here every week of people picking up food, the blessing that that is. And we pray that you would activate us more and more into the work that's to be done and you would fill us with encounter with you. For those of us that are growing weak in our calling, where it's exciting the first six months, but the, after, like, six, after the sixth month, it gets a little hard. And you're like, wait, I don't know if I want to do this for like a year or two or 10. Give us revelation. Open our eyes to what you are doing in this land and make us a part of it, Lord. Come Holy Spirit, may we encounter you today and get fresh revelation. In Jesus' name, amen.